0: Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It's a blessing that we can be back here again together to worship our triune God. Welcome to all of you who are present here and also to all of you who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message strengthen our faith and cause us to live our lives more and more to the praise of God who preserves us, his people. The following announcements: uh, Consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow evening at 8 p.m. And a reminder that next week, the Lord willing, we'll celebrate the Holy Supper. And this afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Poppy. Before we start this worship service, let's sing from Psalm 89. We'll sing verse one.
1: Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship God. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise. Let's sing together from Psalm 98, the verses 1 and 2. Now make a profession of our faith in God. Let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in Hymn 1. Let's now pray to God. Let's ask God for his blessing. Mighty God and Father in heaven, once again this afternoon, we draw near to you. You're Father, and we're your children. We thank you that you call us together here to remind us of what you've done for us, Start off this worship service, and you extend your grace and your mercy to us, and you you come here, you call us here so that we can hear the message of the gospel. And the gospel is good news, Lord. It's good news about what you've done for us. We have failed, but you've taken it upon yourself to do it for us. And we pray, Lord, that we may believe it. That's the hard part for us. It's hard for us to accept that. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to realize that you're willing to do that for us. It's hard for us not to try to do it in our own strength. So we pray for the grace of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to believe it, and that we build our life on the promises that you've extended to us. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can sing songs to you. Thank you that you call us here for worship, and that the greatest aspect of worship is that we focus our attention on you, that we come into your presence, that we glorify you and we honor you, that also through the preaching, that our hearts are are lifted high to you. And we pray for your help in that this afternoon, Lord. Grant that we may focus our attention on you and that you would receive the adoration and the glory and the praise that you are due. Father, we pray that you would please be near to those also who would love to worship with us and are not able to do so. Please be a father to them and please care for them wherever they are. I also want to ask, Father, that you, you would also work in the hearts of some others. There's some members of our congregation They'd rather not worship you. They don't want to be here. And Lord, that's, that's grievous for you, and it saddens us. And we pray that you'd work a, a different spirit, that you draw your people back to yourself, and that together that we may give you the praise and glory you due. Please forgive us for the sins we've committed today. Please bless us in this worship service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. And in connection with that, I'd like to read with you about the the gift of atonement that God gives us through His Son, Jesus Christ. We're going to read together Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, we're going to start reading at verse 1, we'll read the chapter together. you find that on page 729 of your book of praise, sorry, of your Bible. Isaiah 53 starts off there, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then it's it's speaking here of the the servant of the Lord. It says, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 143, the verses 1, 5, and 7. This afternoon, I may preach the gospel to you concerning how we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to do so by looking at what the church has summarized to confess in Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you wish to follow along, you can find that on page 537 of your book of praise. So, Lord's Day 23 has this heading Our Justification. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? In Christ, I am righteous before God, an heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I've grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Why do you say that you're righteous only by faith? Not that I'm acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, for only the satisfaction righteousness and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Then after the proclamation of the gospel we're going to sing together from hymn 52, sorry hymn 25, verses 3, 4 and 7. brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus, you ever wonder what God thinks of you? We heard the sermon last week, for example, that we are among those who sometimes suppress the truth about God that we know. Sometimes we, we make idols in our hearts and we, we follow the idols that we make. At times, you can be in this space where, where you give that space in your life. You allow that to happen. But when that goes on for a time, then, then sometimes you take a step back from that and you look in at yourself and you kind of wonder, you know, what does the Lord really think of me now? Where do I really stand before Him? It's quite striking, someone at our Word Bible study last week, someone mentioned that what really struck them was the first verses of Romans 2. After Paul warns the Gentiles of these sins, then he goes on and he admonishes the Jews and he says, you too are without excuse. He says, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter if you're a church member or not, you all deserve the wrath of God. Well, do you ever carry around a sense of guilt with you, brothers and sisters? you ever think about standing before the throne of judgment and God Passing judgment on your life? There is a way to be set free. There is a way to, to have peace of heart. The way it's really simple, in another way it's really costly. The most important thing to have a, a wholesome relationship with God is that we need to be justified by Him. We're going to look at that under this theme God justifies those who believe in Christ. We're going to see, in the first place, the gift of Christ, and then secondly, the way to share in Christ. And so the most important thing is to be justified. Well, what does it mean to be justified? That's a pretty big word. Well, the easiest way to describe it is, is to be justified means to be declared righteous in a court of law. It's a legal term. You could say to be justified means to be acquitted. If you have your the crimes The accusations are read out against you. You have the judge who listens to them. He listens to the evidence. And at the end of the day, if the judge says not guilty, you are declared innocent. You're declared righteous. Then you are justified. It's quite striking when you read through the Bible. One of the, the places where that's really impressed on us is in the context of Whenever it talks about justification, that it's or not whenever, but a number of times talks about justification, the opposite of being justified is being condemned. So I'll just go through with you a couple of passages here. First one is in Exodus twenty three, verse seven, there God says, Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. I will not justify the guilty. Similarly, Deuteronomy 25.1, if there is a dispute between men and they come into court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then it says the the punishment against the guilty man shall be meted out right then and there. But the word for acquit there could also be translated there as to justify. The innocent man is acquitted. He's justified. Or in Proverbs 17.15, you have the same word used again. He who justifies the wicked... And who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. You have a wicked person, and if the judge says he's not guilty, or if you have a righteous person and a judge says he is guilty, then God says, both those judges are an abomination before him." Or if I can take one New Testament passage, one passage, Romans 8:33. Scripture says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Either you're justified or you're condemned. It's either or. You're acquitted, you're not guilty, or you're condemned. You are guilty. I'm not sure how often you've had to stand before the court of law, brothers and sisters. Ever happen? Those of us who've gone through it, it can be a a rather scary prospect. There's some accusation against you. You stand before a judge, and the judge is going to pass sentence of what you did. He's going to declare that you're you're innocent or you're guilty. Well the truth is that one day the judge of all the earth is going to do that for every one of us. You're going to stand before him. And the scripture says that books are going to be opened the book in which has been recorded all the events of your life. And somehow, in that moment, it's all going to be laid bare. The judge is going to look at that. and He's going to pass sentence on it. Talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Well, when you stand there, What is the judge going to say? Is he going to condemn you? Or will he acquit you? Will he say you're guilty? Or will he say you're justified? Now, if you look in your heart, you all know the truth of Mark 7. There's 21 there. When within, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, murder, theft, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. The truth of our hearts is that we've committed a lot of sin. And we know it. <clears throat> And so the only hope that we have is that somehow we're cleansed before the judgment happens. We have to be acquitted. And God says it's possible. He says this is the gift that he offers in Christ. You can be acquitted. You can be declared not guilty. But he says the only way that happens is if your sins are washed away through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Now, if you you wish to understand what that means for Jesus, what Christ had to do for us, then it's really important to understand the Old Testament law. In a sense, we we have a foretaste of what's coming in the Old Testament, in in Exodus and Leviticus. The Israelites there were going to come into the presence of God. God said he's going to come down from heaven, and he's going to dwell in the midst of his people. His people could come near to him. And so the book of Exodus, it describes... What is required to build the tabernacle in a way that's pleasing to God so that God could dwell among them? And then the book of Leviticus, it spells out about what's required before an actual Israelite comes into the presence of God. And the one thing that's emphasized in these books, especially in the book of Leviticus, is that atonement must be made for the people's sins. And atonement is always made through the shedding of blood. You read Leviticus 1 through 7, you read through the various sacrifices. Well, there's a couple of sacrifices there that were offered to atone for sins. You had the sin offering and the guilt offering. You also had the burnt offering. But with each of those offerings, it required the shedding of blood. You had to kill an animal. You had to take its blood. And then sometimes you put the blood on the altar, or other times you sprinkled the blood on the people. And so quite literally, the priest would do this. He would take the animal, he would slit its throat, he would drain out the blood, and he would take some of the blood and he would would sprinkle it on the people. Well, I've never had any blood sprinkled on me. It's pretty gruesome to think about that. But that was the whole intention. God wanted to impress upon his people the gruesomeness of sin. God summarized it for them, Leviticus 17, verse 11. He said, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you, for you, on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. And so the only, people, the only way that people could come close was through the shedding of blood, and then God gave this very gracious provision. He said, I want to have fellowship with you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to shed your blood, but I can accept the blood of an animal. And it's when the animal's killed, when you're sprinkled, that it washes away your sin, and you're able to come into my presence. We just imagine they they do it every morning, the morning and the evening sacrifice, they kill this animal, they drain the blood. They actually had this this channel by the time they moved into the temple in Jerusalem. They built this channel from the altar that drained out, out back behind the temple, and the temple was built on the mount there, and in behind there, you had the Kidron Valley. And so this channel was built where streams of blood would flow down continually down into the Kidron Valley. It was this horrific experience. And it showed the continual nature, of the continual need for the, for the shedding of blood to acquit the sins of the people. And this thing happened on, on all the, the festivals It was with circumcision. It was with the Passover. It was with the consecration of the priest. It was with the daily sacrifices. It was extra sacrifices on the Sabbath day. You always had this constant shedding of blood. God's telling us that sin is gruesome. And then the Lord tells us in Hebrews 10 that the blood actually didn't do anything. It was just a the foreshadowing of what needed to come. It pointed forward to the blood of the Lord Jesus because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But what it meant for Christ, you think of the passage we read together from Isaiah 53, it meant that the Lord Jesus had to bear the curse of our sin. If you want to look with me at a few of the verses in Isaiah 53, then it kind of spells out how atonement is possible for us today. The core idea that's presented here in Isaiah 53 is the idea idea of substitutionary atonement. Atonement is offered through the shedding of blood, and Christ comes as our substitute. He is the servant of the Lord who experiences the wrath of God on our place to cleanse us from our sins. And so first it's in the verses 4 to 6 that the Lord spells out what Jesus Christ has done for us. After talking about how he was despised and rejected by people, then in verse 4 it says, "...surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities." Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The language here is violent, brothers and sisters. It talks here about how Christ was stricken. He was smitten by God. He was pierced. He was crushed for our iniquities. Talks about the, the wounds or the chastisement and the wounds that he endured. Talks about how God laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, real life, what happened for the Lord Jesus is that he bore the curse of God for your sin. God deserves to curse you, brothers and sisters, And Christ endured that. Well, maybe if I could ask you, has your father ever been upset with you? You think back to a time where that happened? Your dad was mad at you, that he took it out on you? And not just a little bit upset, but really deeply upset That he's actually livid. He has this seething anger, this profound rage. I think it's fair to say that most of us have never gone through an experience like that. Well, that's a bit of the picture of what Jesus Christ had to endure. First, it talks about how he was rejected and forsaken by all the people. And then he's crucified on this cross. And it was during that time that he was also forsaken by his father. This is the moment when he needed his God. He was crying out to his father just before this time. And he was pleading with him. Just please, please, please don't do this to me. Don't make me bear the cup. If it is your will, some other way. And yet, he had to go through it. And it's during that time... That God poured out on Jesus Christ all the anger that he had against all our sins. And so, so God's anger, he's slow to anger. But Romans 2, it actually talks about the anger that the Lord has against the sins of his people. There is this anger and rage, it says. And the word for rage is the seething, boiling anger that God has against the sins of people. And that's the rage that was expressed against Jesus Christ during these hours of darkness. Christ is hanging there, and God says to him, he says, I hate you. Like, I really, really hate you. And I hate the way that you lie. And I hate the way that you steal. And I hate the way that you've been greedy and covetous, that you've taken away the things that belong to other people, that you've mistreated the people who are closest to you. And all the anger of God against all the oppression and injustice Against all the wickedness and evil was poured out on Jesus Christ during those three hours of darkness. You know, our sins, they must be paid for, brothers and sisters. Either you do it, if you don't believe in Jesus, you do it. You stand before Him, and God's anger gets poured out on you. Or you do believe it, you do believe in Jesus, and God's anger. It's poured out on the Lord Jesus. It is the only way to be acquitted. It's the only way to be righteous. In Isaiah 53, verse 11, the Lord talks about what Christ has done. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. He bore the anguish of the wrath of God against all our sins. And it's only through bearing that anguish that many were accounted righteous. It's through our iniquities being laid on him that we are righteous before God. Well, then you understand that sin is not a little thing, brothers and sisters. We can't treat it lightly. You can't pretend it doesn't matter. You can't carry on in your sin. You must confess what you have done to the Lord. You must seek His forgiveness. What it means for us today is that the Lord really impresses upon us He says, the only way to share is through faith in the Lord Jesus. And so at a really important level, that also means that you have to, to stop trying to be righteous before God by the good things that you do. When you read through the New Testament, there's this constant impetus. The people always try to do it in their own strength. And there's this, this constant teaching of the Lord. He says it's, it's not enough it doesn't work that way. You can't figure it out by yourself. You know, we, we heard it this morning about children, they're called to, to obey their parents. And the human nature is such that, that we say to ourselves, well, if I do what's right, then mom and dad are happy with me. And we impose that on God. If I do what's right, then God is happy with me. And I have peace in my soul and I have rest within me. Well, Christ admonishes his people for that. He talks to the Pharisees about that. In Matthew 23, they had it figured out that as long as they obeyed God's laws, then they were in. And what they did is, is they, they had this legalistic righteousness, Paul says, and so they, they figured it out. It's, they took one law and they said, well, if this is the law, then these are the ways you need to be obedient to that law. So especially the Sabbath day law, they had a whole bunch of laws around it. You need to respect the Sabbath day. That means you're only allowed to take so many steps. And you're not allowed to light a fire, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And they had it all laid out, what righteousness really looks like around the fourth commandment. And they thought they were righteous. Paul said it of himself in Philippians 3. He says, as to legalistic righteousness, he says, I was faultless. I did everything that the law, that the Pharisees required. I was perfect, a perfect little boy who did everything that God expected of me. Well, Matthew 23:13, the Lord Jesus Christ says, he says that these, these people are hypocrites. They make up all these laws. They think they can do it themselves. And in so doing, they underma- undermine the sacrifice of Christ. You must believe in the Lord Jesus because he is your only hope. In the last verse of Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul, he addresses the same matter. He warns against these people who say you have to follow laws about eating and drinking, about religious festivals and new moon celebrations and Sabbath day laws. And a little later he says, you know, some people, they make up these laws that seem to be really pious. Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. But Paul says those things are useless. They don't don't restrain sensual indulgence. They don't put you in a right relationship with God. You can make all your own rules, and you can follow all your own rules, but they're worthless in terms of being in a right relationship with God. Your only hope is to have faith in the Lord Jesus. Or the churches of Galatia, you see it happen again there. It was a little different that time. They really emphasized on the law, and they especially emphasized the law of circumcision. Well, Paul condemns the thought in a really harsh way. He tells the Galatians there, That they're bringing another gospel. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you say Christ plus, Christ plus circumcision, he says, then that's not who Christ is. Then you don't share in Jesus Christ. And similarly, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul there warns against those people who preach that you need to be circumcised. Philippians 3, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, he understood it from very personal experience, brothers and sisters. He lived a life. He tried to do it in his own strength. And in the end, he says, it doesn't get you anywhere. There's nothing to it. He had the best pedigree. He had the best life that anybody back then could could possibly want. He talks about it in Philippians three a little later. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But he says it's a dead end. Doesn't get you anything. Whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You must believe in the Lord Jesus. The word that he uses for rubbish here, he says, whatever I had, I now count as rubbish. It's literally, it's manure. It's garbage. He says... If you try to do it in your own strength, then you don't receive atonement from God. Then when the Lord looks at you, then he will convict you of your sins. Because that doesn't put you in a right relationship with your Father. It's quite humbling for us, brothers and sisters. It's our tendency to do the same thing. I have it. We we're just actually talking in the consistory room beforehand here, talking about preaching sermons and how does that actually go for you and what does it look like? And one of the brothers said, Well, maybe you can pull out an old sermon from time to time. And so I said to him, Well, it doesn't work that way. Because you pull out an old sermon. And the sad truth is there's not much grace, there's not much understanding of the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's far too much emphasis on what you must do and how you must live and what the righteous life looks like. But there wasn't a great deal of, of focus on Christ and what he has done and how he has done it for us. But the scripture tells us it is our only hope. And so now the great challenge for us is to live it out, brothers and sisters. You're parenting, that you parent your children to live by grace. That they don't do it, and you have to hold that before them. The next week they realize they or the next day they still can't do it, and they still can't do it. They shouldn't fight with their brother. Yet they still fight with their brother, and they still fight with their brother, and they still fight with their brother. And then you have to tell them it's not that you have to try harder. But you have to tell them that they have to believe in the Lord Jesus. That the Lord Jesus has done it for them. And that they have to trust him. Trust in his forgiveness. And trust him to change them and to make them different tomorrow. And then he will do it. He has the strength and he has the power. And he makes us into new people as we look to him in faith. And that's true in our marriages It's true in our struggles with with sin, with addiction. It's true in our relationships with other people. It's true in every area of our lives. Our only hope is that we look to the Lord Jesus, that we rely upon him. And then he washes us in his blood and he cleanses us from all our sins. In the next weeks, we're going to see how he also renews us with his spirit so that we can begin to live this new life with the power of the Lord Jesus at work within us, that we can live a life that's pleasing to him. Let's go to our Father with empty hands. Let's confess our sin to him. Let's trust for the righteousness of Christ to cover our lives. And let's look forward to the great day where we stand as those who are washed and forgiven in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters, of the righteousness of Christ on our behalf. Psalm 25, verses 3, 4, and 7. now pray to God. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to bear our curse. We thank you that the Lord Jesus was willing to do that. He suffered during the course of his life. He was rejected by the people, that he was hung on a cross, and then instead of the sweet fellowship and communion that you always had with him, you forsook him. And then you turned your face towards him in anger. And you poured out all your wrath against him for all the sins that we have committed. Father, we understand that the only way to be righteous is by sharing in the blood of our Lord Jesus. We confess to you that we are sinners. So often, in so many ways, we have not honored you. We have not worshipped you as we should. We have disregarded your name. We've treated you lightly. We've disregarded the, the special things that you've given us. We've so often sinned against the people around us, especially those who are closest to us. So many lies, so many acts of selfishness, so much pride, so much greed, so much lust, so much anger. We're sorry, Lord, for all our sins. and We plead with you that for Jesus' sake that you cover them. Please forgive us. And please show us mercy. We confess, Lord, that we also have tried to do it in our own strength. We try to be righteous before you by by trying harder and by by working harder, by relying on our own righteousness. We're no different from from Paul and from so many others who've also tried to do the same. And Lord, we confess this, that this is another serious sin before you, because it undermines And it treats Christ lightly. And we're sorry for doing that. And we pray for your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you promise us that all our sins will be washed in the blood of your Son. Thank you that we don't have to fear the great day of judgment when we stand before your throne of grace. Because Christ's righteousness will be given to us. And when you look at us, you'll see us as those who are perfectly righteous. You'll be delighted in us. You have the same attitude towards us that you had towards your son. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Father, we pray that we may look forward to that commendation as we trust in Christ as our Savior. We pray then, Father, that we also respond to that, that we, that we live out of faith, that your Holy Spirit would live in our hearts, and that we love you with all our heart, and that we show that by an obedient life before you. Help us to learn how to put that into practice and help us to grow in that. Father, we also wish to pray for your, for your help in the coming week to put these things into our lives. Grant that, that we may be honest about sin and that we, that we love you with all our heart. And where we struggle with these things, Lord, then please do for us what we fail to do for ourselves. It's so beautiful that we can trust you, that you will accomplish what you've promised to do for us. Father, we also pray that you would please accept the thank offerings that we're about to give you now. Thank you that we can have a collection for the mission work in P&G. We just to ask you for your blessing, Lord, over the, the work that's being done there. I want to pray in the first place that you would please grant safety and security for the people there. They're in the middle of a, a national election, and there's actually a lot of violence that's going on, especially around Ukurumpa. It's one of the places where there's a lot of local violence that's happening. We wish to entrust our missionaries and and also the others in that city to your throne of grace, and we wish to ask for your protection. We pray, Lord, that you would keep them safe, that you put a shield around them, that you show them your grace and mercy. We also pray for all your people in the churches, Lord, that you be a father to them, that they may look to you in faith, and that that you would grant them your help and your protection. We also wish to bring the, the work of the Reformed Bible College before you, Pray especially for the work of Reverend Paul as he teaches there. Give him the strength and energy to do the work. Thank you, Lord, that that he has that opportunity, that he's able to to teach another generation of ministers about who you are and what you've done. And we pray that you would please bless that work and that it may go well. We ask, Father, that you please also bless the the federation of churches, that they may encourage one another, and that collectively that they can serve you in a way that, that pleases and that honors you. Please bless the collections that we, we give to this end and grant that they may lead to, to the growth of faith and the blessing for your people there. Father, we also wish to pray that you would bless our government. I want to ask that you be with our elected representatives, that they're able to make good laws for the well-being of our people. Please bless the judges that need to uphold the law. Please give them wisdom. Grant that in our courts that justice may be administered in a way that honors you. We pray, Father, that... That the guilty would be punished, and that that the righteous would be acquitted, and that true justice may be administered. Please bless those who work in this area. I also pray for police officers. We want to pray for a blessing over the doctors and nurses, over those who serve as public servants. We're so thankful for the work that they can do. Grateful, Lord, for the for the medical profession and for the blessing that we receive through that. So many members of our congregation who regularly receive help from the medical professionals, and virtually every time, it's a a really good experience. And Father, that's a gift out of your grace. We thank you that you you equip and enable people to do this work, and we we honor you for that. And we pray, Lord, that you bless them in the work that they do, that you give them strength and energy, and that you give them the ability to do their tasks faithfully. Father, we also pray that you would please take care of each one of us in the tasks that you've given to us, we're thankful for the jobs that we have, and we, we honor you for that. Pray, Lord, that you be near to those who, who may have lost jobs or those who, who struggle in their work. It's happened to some of the members of our congregation through the COVID experience. We ask that you be a father to them and that you help them. I also want to pray, Lord, that you help us to find jobs that suit the abilities that we have, that we can serve you with the gifts that you've given us. And we ask for your blessing over that, that it may go well for us. Then, Father, we also... We should pray that you would grant your blessing over the education of the youth of our, over our children. Please grant that our children can, can know you and love you. And also a blessing over the schools that we support. We're so thankful for the, for the schools that we have and for the blessing that you give through that. And we pray, Father, that you would please grant that it may go well. Be with the teachers of our congregation who are busy teaching the youth. Give them wisdom and insight them a heart of love for you and for, for the children. Please grant that they're able to set a context at school where, where your nature and your character is reflected in, your dealings, in the dealings with the children. Father, we ask that you would please also bless the school councils and the school boards and all the decisions they need to make and that you'd be a father to them through this as well. Father, so many things that we bring before your, th- your throne. We thank you that you are our father and we thank you that we may be your children. Please accept our thanks. Please hear our prayer. And please do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon the collection is for the mission work that we just prayed for. After the collection, you're invited to rise. So we're going to sing together from hymn 28, the verses 1, 3, 4, and 7.